you know, you're forced in a position where you go to a school and you have people around you and you need to, you know, sink or swim. So I was definitely, you know, I had some friends growing up. I did experience a lot of bullying through school, but it was just a constant feeling of being out of place and not understanding why and always feeling uncomfortable, whether it was kind of in my clothing or whether it was, yeah, who I was needed to hang out with or the types of behaviours I was expected to perform, whether that was playing sport or whether it was acting in a certain way with my body. And when I hit puberty was when I really started to kind of think about who I was attracted to. Hello everyone, welcome to Humans with Luke McCredden. I'm Luke McCredden. That voice you just heard was Archie Bolter. Archie is a dear friend of mine and an amazing human. Archie's just embarked recently on setting up Queertown, an online hub, a central platform in which they can host from their queer content, music, podcasts, articles, you name it. It's all there on Queertown. Somewhere where queer people all across Australia can get together and share in the fun. But as we discuss in this podcast, which was an amazing chat, I think it's worth having a look at Queer Town, regardless of where you're from, your background, any of that. We as a nation have a long, long way to go. We've got a lot to learn and hopefully we share some of that in this podcast. So anyway, I hope you enjoy it. It was a lot of fun. Episode four, Archie Bolter. Archie. Hey. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad you're here. I really am. Well, it's a privilege to be here. and I'm very excited about this podcast. I'm very, very pleased to be a part of it. I've been looking forward to this one. We've talked about it for a while. We have. But I want to get jump straight in and talk about Queer Town. It's something that you've uh, really taken on recently and I love all the up- I love following it. Mm-hmm. But let's uh, put it out there and tell people what it is and what it's about, I suppose. Cool. Okay. Well, Queer Town is a social enterprise startup that um, I have co-founded. So we've been around for a bit over six months now, so we're pretty new to the game. But essentially, Queertown is an online destination packed full of Australian LGBTIQA plus digital media designed by queer people for queer people. So we're talking videos and podcasts and writing and artwork. Um, and we're trying to fill a huge gap in Australian digital media by producing Australian-based content that's really positive and uplifting. And um, so we're trying to create a platform, a one-stop shop, where someone can come and access heaps of great content in one spot. So there's, no, there's nothing like that previously, and, and it's something obviously that people are wanting. Yeah. Um, most of the time people are like, surely that already exists, but yeah. it just doesn't yeah. anywhere around the world. We haven't been able to find anything similar to Queer Town. There's obviously like great queer podcasts or yep. like a great YouTube series, but nothing that brings it all to one place. And typically the queer content we have access to is most often US-based yep. or it's about someone's coming out story or it's, you know, pitched at non-queer people to educate them um, as opposed to having really great content for queer people. Yeah. Um, so that's what we're doing. We're producing original content and we're also curating existing content to make it really easy to access. Yeah, and it is just a case of going on to a website and it's all 
how's there, I suppose? Yeah, we're starting small. We're trying to start simple by just having a website that you can go to, queertown.com.au. And then down the track, we'll be developing an app um, just to make it even more accessible for people. Um, Because it's a really exciting opportunity, particularly for people living rural um, or regionally, to be able to access representation Mm. and community because it's pretty hard for a queer person out in the country to you know, access these things. So an app would make it even more accessible. Totally. What's the feedback been like? Have you had much feedback so far? Yeah, a lot of people through our market research have just been really excited. Yeah. Um, and actually market research has been quite difficult because you want it to be really spe- specific and you want specific information from people, but everyone's just kind of been like, anything give us anything whatever the content is we don't care if it's queer it's australian <laughs> we will consume it which yeah. is i mean it's a good problem to have yeah um so people are excited about it um we haven't we're doing a soft launch later this year um but in the meantime we're just kind of uploading some behind the scenes content um and that kind of thing so the reaction's been great we've been building traction online we've i think you know we're up to about four thousand followers or three thousand followers or something in a mm. in a number of months so people are getting excited about yeah. it which is great and it's just about getting it out there because I'm sure there'll be many more tens of thousands of followers to come. Fingers crossed. <laughs> well, let's while we're doing it, let's do the plug. Like, is it, it's across Instagram, Facebook, Twitter? Yeah. I'm not sure if it's is it Twitter. Yeah, Twitter's a scary place yeah. for us. Um, we are on Twitter, but don't ask us how we use it because we're still not even sure. Um, but yeah, and on terms of Instagram, you can find us at queer town. Um, you can search queer town on Facebook. You can find us at queertown.com.au. Um, subscribe for updates um, and for our first content drops. Um, but yeah, we share all types of great content. Mm. And even though we're designing this for queer people, whether you're queer or you're not queer, you can get a lot out of the experience mm. and a lot out of the page. So highly recommend checking I love, it out. I love it. I follow it. I love the, it's always a colourful post, but there's also the videos that you guys do, which <laughs> always make me smile, <laughs> which is why um, why we're good friends, but it's also why I wanted you on the podcast because it's all about, for me, people that, I like, I enjoy, make me happy. So oh, I'd certainly urge anyone um, to jump on there and have a look because it's fun. Thank you must have fun doing it. It looks like you're having fun. Yeah, we do have a lot of fun. We kind of like pinch ourselves, even though it's a lot of hard work. Sure. And we, you know, we don't have the revenue just yet to kind of really back us up. So it's a lot of hustling. But um, at the same time, we like pinch ourselves because we're creating our dream jobs at the moment. My yeah. co-founder, Grace, and myself. Um, and we've got a couple of volunteers on board who are kind of helping and supporting us and people who are putting their hands up to get involved. So yeah. it is really dreamy and the privilege of actually creating a space that other queer people are coming to and engaging with and we've met so many cool people. Um, it just feels like we're in the right place at the right time doing something. Why, this is a two-part question, why hasn't this been done before and why are you doing it personally? I don't know why it hasn't been done before. I think, I mean, it's a big question. I think it could come down to, like, opportunities. It could come down to, like, society's kind of restrictions and norms. Mm. Like, it's a really big question. I think... Well, it's also a lot of effort. Like, it's it, not... Yeah. It's yeah. Aside from um, everything, it's... You, got, you guys put in some serious time and money and, yeah... And, yeah, I mean, the reality is typically these types of organisations are not-for-profit. Yep. We are, at Queertown, we are building a for-profit social enterprise. It's important to us that we do build a large, scalable, profitable business. We can create jobs for people. We can pay people that we engage with. 
Um, and I think sometimes it can be um, disheartening or daunting to look around the space and say, I want to create something, but you're looking at people who are really struggling yeah. and they're, you know, living grant by grant or, you know, they're trying to fundraise and, you know, they're a charity and they do great work, but it's really, really hard. And most often you see that people might sign up or start an idea because they want to be creative or they want to create a space and they actually don't get to do that work. Mm. They're just doing admin and emails yeah. and... Yep. So I think people might start and burn out or they might not feel like it's possible. Um, but for us, I mean, for myself at least, and before Grace came on board as a co-founder, I was just really passionate about um, digital media because for me as myself being queer, like digital media was my first opportunity to explore my own identity and to connect with people from my community because I grew, out, grew up out in the suburbs and there was no queer community around me that I could access so digital media has always had like a really special place in my heart because I've it's provided access and representation and then growing up I'd just always been aware that I wanted to start my own business as opposed to work for someone else and then yeah about 12 months ago um, I finally had an epiphany I'd been playing with an idea of maybe a YouTube channel or a podcast or writing and then I thought well why not have a place where you have all of this content and it's coming from lots of different people um, and 48 hours later, I'd quit <clears throat> my full-time job, which was an amazing job. But I just knew as soon as I had that epiphany that that is exactly what I needed to do. Um, and since then, I've just been working on it. And Grace came on board about six months ago. And I think for a lot of people, when they start out in business, it's mostly just hurdles and lots of closed doors. And we've been lucky that we've actually had a lot of doors open and a lot of yeses. And I think that's really given us a lot of momentum at the start. And I think that's why we've just kind of kept going, kept growing. Even though it's hard, we're excited about it. Um, so I think having that support and validation has really helped as well. Yeah. And what about um, initial funding? Obviously, you've, did, you've done a couple of programs we've done well and you've had some backing and all that sort of thing. Is it, like you mentioned before, is it constantly at the moment, are you still chasing it just to just keep things going at the moment before you start actually, you know, earning something out of it? Um, yes financially so to speak yeah and I mean anyone who started like a business I'm mm. sure can like empathize it's a tough gig we um we did get some seed funding through an accelerator program that we were part of which was an awesome opportunity yeah and um we've done a little bit of like crowdfunding yep. we've um, been applying for different grants and um but yeah it's a lot of work we're essentially just testing different potential revenue streams through running workshops or doing production for people yeah we haven't found the perfect solution just yet, um, so we just got to keep working and find. So young, there's, it's it's so young the yeah. project, you know. So there's so 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 far it can go. I think it's great. Thank you. So so the main thing for you was based on a personal experience or personal feelings about how important the space is, that media space, um, digital space is. Mm. Hence, why you've doing it. Have you had that feedback from people that sort of mirrored how you felt? growing up to now as well definitely I think I think representation in quotation marks is sort of thrown around as a buzzword so much that sometimes we don't really process the kind of depth or the importance or the meaning behind it and I think unless you've really experienced a lack of representation you kind of really take for granted that all the images around you are made for you and mm. are, you know I mean, for myself as a white person, I'm hyper aware that most advertising and media is pitched towards me mm. and nearly everyone is white in content. But at the same time, nearly everyone is straight. 
um, and nearly everyone is cisgender. So for myself as someone who's queer and non-binary, I it wasn't until recent years that I finally figured out what that meant for me because growing up it wasn't even on the table as a possibility to mm. be gender diverse, um, for example. And it wasn't until I had the privilege of you know, receiving a tertiary education and took a gender studies subject at the University of Melbourne, which is a very privileged, prestigious space. And I was able to access this information that told me that A, gender diversity existed um, and B, that it was a possible way that you could live and express yourself. Um, So I didn't get that until I was in my early 20s. Um, And growing up, I was just constantly confused, constantly Mm. uncomfortable and I just didn't understand why. And I think it's because I didn't have any examples around me of someone who was living a non-binary or a gender diverse existence. Um, and I think to myself, the power that Queertown has or digital media has to provide these types of images and stories and representation so that someone who's young mm. can see that that's a possibility yeah. and they don't have to go through decades of struggle. They can start exploring and expressing themselves early. So when... Uh, what was your where was your head at in your early twenties when you discovered that that was all possible and that was you it opened up a bit of a different world to you? Was it, it was it kind of a rel- relief? And I, I don't know if I'm speaking out of tongue, but I'm just, is how did you how was that feeling? Because there must be thousands of more than tens of hundreds of thousands of people that go through those different stages of emotion, and we'll talk a bit about some of them. But that point, what was that like? Well, I remember very specifically the exact moment where I kind of heard this terminology. Like, obviously, the term LGBT had been around for a while, although we did not understand or speak about the T, trans, Mm. transgender, in a way that we do now. Public discourse was very different and much more limited. But I think when I was at uni, I was taking this gender studies class because I was interested in sexuality and identity. And one of our first lessons was on trans and gender diversity and I remember being in this big lecture theatre there are hundreds of students we had the lecture in front of us going through the information going through a powerpoint it was very standard and when they started talking about transgender experience I just remember like everything else went blurry and it was just like zoom tunnel vision on the lecturer and just like a real true epiphany moment where I was like I don't know if I can swear on this yeah totally holy shit like that something just clicked inside of me and I was like, that explains why I felt so uncomfortable. So that was an incredible relief. It was very emotional and very overwhelming. And I remember like things just felt like they were Did it take a bit to sink in though? Because that was just the first time that you were exposed to it. Definitely. It definitely took a long, a long, long time to kind of sink in and process. Yeah. But just that initial exposure and like that feeling of potential and feeling seen and understood was yeah a really big moment for me and then what followed was a really difficult few years um I was in a long-term relationship at the time that I decided to end because I really needed room to kind of explore myself and I spent you know like two and a half years um just like soul searching and doing a lot of research like when I first learnt properly around transgender experience I just became obsessed and was you know doing lots of reading watching lots of interviews following transgender people that I could find online not like I wasn't stalking these people (laughs) and and just learning and I did at first assume I was like oh I must be a transgender woman because that explains why growing up I never identified with 
the boys and what I was expected to do and being masculine and I always felt out of place and I always wanted to be with the girls and I loved the kind of female rituals that I would see and could never be a part of. And it took a long time to figure out that that wasn't me either. I wasn't a transgender woman, but I also wasn't a cisgender male. And so what was so confusing is that it was a real grey area and if you society doesn't really make much room for the grey area and there's not much explanation for what that grey area could be. So you kind of have you're forced to do a lot of soul searching and it was I had really, really low points. You know, I really tried to find um, counselling and psychologists and no one could help me. People were didn't understand it. They were diagnosing me as things like intersex, which is totally, totally different. What's that? So intersex is related to sex as opposed to gender. So it's someone who is born um, and may not be able to be categorised as strictly male or strictly female, whether that's based on genitalia or sexual organs or chromosomes um, or hormones. So there's about 70 to 80 different intersex variations. Right. But it's very different to gender. Yep. So people just didn't get it. Yep. So that's why I had to do so much work. And now I'm at a point where I know myself so well and I feel so much more confident and self-assured in a way that I never would have, I don't think, if I hadn't been forced to go through that. So I see it as a real blessing now and a real superpower. But going through that was really, really hard. Yeah, I bet. So unable to find people to talk to, to help you, is that changing? Are there, are there more people? Because obviously there'd still be kids or guys in their early 20s or 30s or 40s who are still probably having those confusing moments, no doubt. Are there more people now that sort of are, are more, I suppose, um, out there that you, you could go and find fairly easily to talk to and maybe get some clarity and not someone to tell you who you are or what you are, but just to, you know, bring some clarity to the way things are and here's some some ideas about what you might be going through? Like I would say logistically, yes, there are like more resources accessible. There's more information online, which is only a positive thing. But I definitely wouldn't say that it's easy. And, you know, someone, as scientists are now saying that I think by the age of four, a human being has a real understanding of their own gender identity And so you're thinking, we're talking about children here who are growing up in families and if those families aren't equipped to understand how to raise a child who may be gender diverse or may be trans or may be queer in some way or other, then that's going to be a really challenging situation for that young person. So it's it's hard as a young person because that is when you're going through these kind of identity um, experiences and journeys Mm. And so if your family isn't supportive or doesn't understand that, that's obviously typically your first port of call. So that can be a huge barrier. Um, I mean, it's pretty intimidating as a young person to go to a doctor and speak about it or, you know, to find the right resources that you need. And, you know, that's compounded if you're living out in rural or regional Australia and it's a small community. So I'd say it's still really hard, but yes, there's definitely more services. And the fact that, you know, more people are having conversations around being transgender, for example, goes to show that there's a bit more awareness in society. So mm. that's positive. What was your early, as a young kid, what were your, did, we, did you go through phases up until say that 20 or early 20s when you're talking about 
that were there were different stages of confusion or or you weren't sure about yourself you mentioned about you know you didn't want to necessarily play with the the boys like the stereotypical boys mm. do were there just different moments throughout or from an early age did you were you aware of who you were it's really interesting to reflect on now that I kind of have an awareness of gender diversity and my mm. own kind of identity to be able to understand my experience growing up and I would say it was it was more just an ongoing awareness and feeling of discomfort and being misplaced and not understanding why so like although I think sometimes my parents or family members may feel surprised because you know they saw someone who you know did thrive and did have friends and that kind of thing mm. but that's also because you're socialized in a way to have friends mm. and to you know you're forced in a position where you go to a school and you have people around you and you need to, you know, sink or swim. So I was definitely, you know, I had some friends growing up. I did experience a lot of bullying through school, but it was just a constant feeling of being out of place and not understanding why and always feeling uncomfortable, whether it was kind of in my clothing or whether it was, yeah, who I was needed to hang out with or the types of behaviours I was expected to perform, whether that was playing sport or whether it was acting in a certain way with my body And when I hit puberty was when I really started to kind of think about who I was attracted to. Mm. I don't know, for some people it's much younger. And that was when I was like, oh, I'm, you know, I'm more attracted to guys than I am to girls. And so for me, I was like, oh, that must mean that I'm a gay man. And so I was, I put everything down to that. I was like, that explains why I'm more sensitive, why I'm more emotional, why I'm more feminine, why I'm more uncomfortable around you just threw all of that into that basket yes so that you obviously were aware of uh, the different sexualities yes so you you straight away distinguished i must be gay Mm -hmm. and everything else that's what that means yeah right so like around yeah it's not that black and white is it no (laughs) no exactly so yeah throughout high school i kind of identified as gay and i came out in kind of later years um and had a lot of challenges with that but it was probably when I left school that I was like became really hyper aware of the fact that that just wasn't quite everything. Just like, it, yeah. It wasn't just coming down to who I was attracted to. It was how I felt inside and how yeah. I was expressing myself and really importantly, how others were seeing me. And I mean, one example. How, how, did, how did you, how could you distinguish how people were seeing you? Was it, was it just a perception or did you have a strong feeling that people were seeing you I differently? Sub- I suppose it was I was aware that people weren't seeing the version of me that I felt inside. They were seeing the boy Mm. and, you know, they were seeing what they expected me to be. And I think something that I reflect on now that I didn't, I couldn't articulate at the time was my discomfort around my birth name. And growing up, I always felt a bit uncomfortable with it. Throughout high school, I would always use different nicknames and ask people to call me different nicknames and... In the end, I was just going by my initials. And I then started exploring kind of a little bit of drag and more so gender bending. It wasn't a character. It was just like an opportunity to express different parts of my gender. So I might go out at night with some friends in like makeup and wigs and heels. And I chose the name Archibald, um, as in Archibald, because I felt that it was a bit androgynous. I just something drew me to the name Archie. And so I started to play with that a little bit and like very quickly realised that I was most comfortable as myself when I was dressed up as Archie Bold. And 
I realised that when I would get home at night and had to take my, in quotation marks, drag off, that actually kind of felt like putting drag on when Mm. I was going back to this other person that everyone expected me to be. So in the end, I stuck with that name and asked people to start calling me that name and went through a legal name change. And so for me, reflecting on that, I feel that the reason I was uncomfortable with that birth name was that it was associated with that person that I was pretending to be or trying to be that didn't feel comfortable with. Everyone named that person with that name yep. and that's why I felt I needed to change that. Yeah. So yeah. What, what was that conversation like with your family? I was, you know, quite lucky in that my family was supportive. Yeah. And I say lucky not because, you know, I think everyone, every family should be supportive, but I know that for some people they don't have that support. Um, I was worried that my parents would be offended, that I would, you know, disregard the name that they had bestowed upon me. Um, but, yeah, they were really supportive and I think what was incredibly validating and if there are any parents listening or family members or friends, like the it was such a positive experience for me because my family said that makes a lot of sense to us. Like we actually really get it. And I know going into that conversation they had some suspicions and they felt a bit uncomfortable. They didn't know where it was going. But when I explained this is how I feel and this is why I'm choosing the name Archie, they were like that makes so much sense. And that was just really validating. It didn't feel like I had to prove or justify it. Yeah, that's so great. Been supportive, and it take. I mean, there's been obviously there's still mistakes every now and then. There's still hiccups. People might revert to the old name just out of habit, and that takes time. And it can be a painful and really uncomfortable process. But you also have to be patient and understand that everyone has to figure it out around you as well. Absolutely, absolutely. That's cool. What What's the What's for you growing up? Um, and you're not old, so it's not not you can reflect back, you know, back in my day. But to what you sort of see now, has has the has Australia changed much just in let's just say twenty years, just for the sake of it? Mm. Oh shit, yeah. Because I feel like it ha- it has in that space, um, obvi- for obvious re- a couple of obvious reasons, but just in general, I still one of and it, one of the reasons I feel like. <coughs> um, there's a there's a change and a bit of a swing is when you hear things that are said now that are um, offensive now that maybe in 50 years ago were just mm-hmm. rolled off the tongue of a lot of people, it's awkward. It's awkward as fuck to hear some of that stuff now and, I ha- and it makes me cringe. And I've, and I've never been – I mean, that's always felt awkward to me hearing people use offensive words to anyone. Like, mm. But I think the fact now that there's a majority oh, – I feel like there's – a whole lot of people now that go, oh, like, did that person just say that? Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because the fact that it's now sounding really odd and, and and really stands out as being something that's an ugly thing to say mm. is kind of a sign that it, it, it's we're going in the right direction. <laughs> yes, I think we are going in the right direction. I think, like, before reflecting on, the, like, the past few decades, I think it's important to note that geographically it depends where you are in Australia like in metropolitan Australia it's much more progressive uh, whereas if you're living in the country or regionally like there is still a lot of difficulties and challenges and a lot of slurs that are still used and that's almost the norm and I would say that even though typically we see in metropolitan Australia that's the case um, that it's more progressive there's still like a lot of people who are um abused and assaulted and victimized so i think yes it's improving and i've been doing a lot of research around um the kind of 60s and 70s and 80s 
And it's been a really humbling process because I think sometimes as an impatient millennial, um, it's like, you know, we want rights, we want them now. And that hasn't changed for me. But to see that, you know, in the 70s, it was still illegal to be a gay man. People were being charged as sex offenders. People were being thrown in prison up to 20 years. Before that, people were being killed purely on being, in this case, a gay man shows to me how much progress we've made because mm. people are still walking around the street. I work with someone who went lived through all of that. So that to me shows how much progress we've made. Um, but yeah, we've still got a really, really long way to go. And I would say the biggest um, tipping point for me is the kind of expectation on people outside the community to become well-versed and to understand these sorts of types of life experiences. So like allies, for example, I feel are the key to our next steps forward as a community because we need people in positions of power mm. within systems and institutions to like back us up and support us. We've been rallying for decades. Um, so to have more and more people in the public and the mainstream aware of kind of our day-to-day issues is really positive. Mm. But yeah, we've got a long way to go. Oh, and totally. There's like a lot of emphasis put on like same-sex marriage coming through and yeah. things like that, which is like I try to appreciate that that's a great opportunity for some, but also like that is such a fraction. Like we're talking about, you know, a same-sex couple who wants to engage in a long-term monogamous relationship and have that acknowledged with a marriage certificate. Like that in itself is niche within the queer community. Mm. So to say that everything's solved now, but you know, intersex people, they're still performing operations on intersex babies. You know, trans people are still fighting for their rights just to get their name changed and to, you know, be recognised on their birth certificate for the gender that they identify as. And, you know, there's so much more than just same-sex marriage. Sure, sure. But but, but even on that, why do you think there was so much, even though that is just a a minor or a, a small part of the whole piece, what, why would there have been so much hesitation in your mind? Because it felt like there was hesitation in just making that happen just for someone to say, yep, okay, this is, fo- this is all good, this is legal. Do you mean like as in people hesitating to approve it? Yeah. God, well, like it's also worth noting that we only just got it across the line. I think it was yeah. something like 63% or something. So like there's still a significant portion of Australia that said we do not want this. Mm. So like I walked down the street thinking, you know, Right, we've got like six out of ten people, but what about the other four? Mm, yeah. So that in itself is concerning. I I mean, the whole thing was a bit of a sham in that like it was optional to vote. It's the first time Australia has ever had the opportunity to vote on someone's rights in that way. It was done with snail mail. Like the whole thing was really bizarre. Yeah. Um, and in terms of why people are hesitant, I think because we live in a heteronormative society that's been set up in a way some people really benefit from and are comfortable with because they aren't part of the queer community. So they've grown up feeling that this is the way things should be. You kind of grow up as either a man or a woman, you marry the opposite sex, you have a long-term relationship, you have a family and that's what's natural. People are happy with the norm, aren't they? Yeah. You know, And there's so many misconceptions that, that introducing things like rights for queer people is going to impede on other people's mm. rights where really we're just creating a more accepting and more yeah. accessible society. Yeah, it's so. I mean, I, I'm. I feel. Um, I love talking to you about it, and I, um, we should note that we are friends outside of this, so we we know each other quite well. 
I love talking to you about this um, because I feel educated every time I speak to you because there's so much that it's understandable. Do you un- do you have the understanding of as in can you understand why there's lack of education just for the general po- public in 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 a lot of what you know because it's not necessarily out like I don't know a hell of a lot about it so that's mm. why I love having the opportunity to chat to you whenever we catch up because it's it's very um it's like I it's not the same thing but going through the process of learning about autism and mm. my daughter's got autism it's something that I would never ever know anything about until I went through it all and trying to explain it to people is very difficult mm-hmm. and I don't I don't expect people to understand it straight off the bat so a lot of the times unless you're looking for things to learn about it's sometimes hard mm. is is that a frustration of yours when you're just sort of not necessarily campaigning or anything but just in general day to day that must be yeah it must be difficult just to get anything sort of explained clear in, in, in layman's terms I guess you'll call it yeah I mean me and a lot of my queer friends and co-workers have been talking a lot about exhaustion mm. because it is really exhausting it's kind of like you're coming out to every single new person that you meet mm. even if you're just through expressing yourself authentically you are know and you're aware that this person is judging you and you don't know what their history is what their background is what their beliefs are and so whether you're explaining it verbally whether it's just through being yourself um, you're constantly under scrutiny and judgment so that is really tiring and it is frustrating but I understand as you're saying if someone isn't doesn't feel directly impacted by it they're less likely to do the work to go and learn yeah. about it, yeah. which I understand. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, it means that it's, you know, conservative estimates say that there's about 11% of the population is LGBTIQA+. I would say it's significantly higher. But How much higher? Well, we're seeing... If you had to put a number on it. I don't know that I would put a number on it necessarily, but we're seeing in through research that more and more and more and more young people are identifying as either gender diverse or bisexual or pansexual, which is similar to bisexual. And I don't think that's because it's a phase or a Gen X thing or it's something in the water. It's because people are seeing more possibilities through access to information, through social media. They're like, oh, this is actually an opportunity. I can express myself in this way or I can explore my sexuality in ways that historically wasn't even an option. So I yep. think people who think it doesn't directly impact them are fools because, you know, you're, whether it's your colleague, whether it's your friends, whether it's your family, you're constantly engaging with, whether it's a stranger on the street. So so do you feel like Queer Town is one of those platforms that people will maybe be drawn to but haven't necessarily yet discovered themselves fully and then there's information, I, I, I dare say, within the we- what you're doing that might help help people they'll read it or listen to it and go ah this makes sense (laughs) i hope so i mean our biggest hope is that people can access our content and it gives them an opportunity to feel seen and feel heard and explore their identity and maybe have those epiphany moments that i was talking about earlier so like that is our audience but i do hope that people outside the community will stumble across our content as well and Mm. get something from it and like to answer your question before i think the reason why people aren't exposed to this is because the government is terrified to incorporate queer content into the education system. And if we had young people learning about this at an early age, it would 
be a huge game changer. And for some bizarro reason, conservatives believe that even exposing young people to this terminology will somehow induct them into the queer community or change their brains. Like that's just scientifically, that just doesn't even make sense. That's concerning um, that the the powers that be think like that. Do you know what I mean? Well, that, that, it's just so concerning and, and so it's so disgusting that people would think along those lines. Well, the powers that be and historically are kind of straight, white, cis men and there are lots of great straight, white, cis men out there but there are also a lot of shitty ones mm. who through what we've spoken about, haven't been exposed to that lived experience and therefore have a lack of empathy and a lack of understanding. And that's how our society has been built by those people. So it serves those people very well, um, which is why those people are so hesitant for change. Yeah, it's disturbing is what it is. (laughs) Um, um, We've spoken a bit about the current climate. If there was, and this is a bit of a question without notice, maybe I should have given you some... (laughs) If there were a couple of things, and I'll just I'll open it to a couple of things because I'm sure there'll be more than one, that you could put in place that go into the education system, for example, what jumps out at you that you would love to just have in there just to, for that education? I mean, the biggest thing is just language and terminology. Like, I could imagine if people in primary school were able to learn about different identities and it doesn't just have to be lgbtiqa plus specific we're just talking about diversity and intersectionality in humans like if we were to learn about like what it means to be gay what it means to be lesbian what it means to be trans it's not saying it's not putting a value judgment on it it's not saying this is a good thing or this is a bad thing it's just talking about different types of people that are out there and that early exposure and normalizing of these different lived experiences i think would just be a huge game changer it would take out a lot of the fear it would take out a lot of ignorance it would take out a lot of um kind of isolation and self-hatred mental health problems you know associated with being feeling isolated i feel like what we're talking about is just education exposure and empathy so if they can just be introduced to different people or learn some words and terminology i think it could be as simple as that and then the ability for people, for the students or whether it's primary school, secondary school, even through universities, to have that um, in front of them but also then to have, you know, somewhere to to take it themselves if they want to and learn more. Mm. It's just opening the door, isn't it? Yeah, I just don't understand why our education system is the way it is. Like it feels so 1950s that... People are in strict uniforms. People have to present in a certain way. Mm. People have to, you know, it's like I just feel like, yes, we need to educate our young people and they need to have lots of opportunities to learn great things, but why aren't we teaching them to express themselves authentically? There's some, there's some and I know there's a lot of schools that do it differently, um, but there's some bizarre things that, that get put across the kids' faces in a classroom and just go, yeah, it's 2019. Yeah. We're, 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 we're changing rapidly in the way we communicate the way we you know technology itself the just the, the way we operate mm. this is we don't need this anymore i wish i'd learn how to do my taxes yeah. like i wish i got life experience not learning how to divide the angles of a triangle like yeah. why didn't i learn how to do when my was the taxes? last time you used angles of triangles in algebra in school and i hated it <laughs> but what the fuck is that for 
I don't know. <laughs> I'm like, just teach us about people. Teach us about people, the real world. People would be, you know, uh, race, um, sexuality, all that would be just so much more beneficial. I know. For, for, yeah, I know. And I'm, <laughs> I'm not I telling know. you. No, I yell know. at me. <laughs> no, I'm just like no, frustrated thinking yeah, about it. It is frustrating to think about. ridiculous. Yeah. So I feel like people are going to be listening to this and hopefully like cheering as they listen to it. Hopefully. Or they might be like, what are you talking about? That's okay. Because it might make them read something else or jump onto Queer Town, the Queer Town website. But I'd like to think that there was even um, things that could be come into the system soon where you could teach kids about how brains are different. Not everyone's brain's the same, you know. Um, a- anything to do with, with, with humans. We're all different. There's so many different... It, teachers even struggle sometimes with students and generally they're older and I'm not trying to be ageist or anything like that. But, you know, we one thing we find, and again, with learning more about autism, ki- kids, kids struggle and there's some schools that do not help mm. these kids at all. And they need, um, you know, they might not necessarily need a teacher's aid next to them all day, but they sometimes will need somewhere to go when the rest of the kids are playing a really loud and full-on game out at recess. I want to be a part of that. You don't have, you can't push them out there to be a part of that. And that's not, that's not just, um, you know, autistic kids. It's just a lot of people in general. I just don't feel like they're being catered for, um, or there's enough catering for different kids, you know? Yeah. And I mean, the unfortunate thing is that those kids are seen as different and othered and, you know, it's almost like it's their error or their fault, but they're just trying to survive in a system and a structure that hasn't been catered, sorry, hasn't been built to cater to them. So, I mean, there are so many autistic people who are brilliant and so smart, so clever, you know, emotionally intelligent, but because our education system or our society is built in an ableist way, Mm. that means that so many people don't have the potential to thrive in a way that they could and are then made to feel ashamed because they're not thriving in a way that, know, in a society that hasn't been built for them. But even don't you think, and I'm sure you do, but the, the education of um, about sexuality and about gender and would actually benefit everybody, like r- regardless of who you are. It would actually benefit just your life and the way you think, but also uh, professionally as you move through, you know, they, they, especially at a primary school level when you're between 6 and 12. Mm. It's huge. Like I conduct a lot of LGBTI inclusive training in lots of different environments, typically with people who aren't part of the community. So it's a very interesting role. Mm -hmm. And one of the main points that I try to drive home now is that learning about gender identity and sexuality, it isn't just for LGBTIQA plus people. In fact, right now I'd argue it's just as important, if not at times more important for people who do identify cisgender and heterosexual because everybody is impacted by social norms and i mean how many older guys straight guys have really intense mental health problems because they've been taught growing up that they can't share emotion they can't be sensitive Mm. they can't open up to their friends you know i worked with someone recently who he was like stereotypically a really big straight ochre aussie guy and he teared up in a session with me because he was like i'm so angry that i've been robbed of 
having great relationships with people around me. He's like, I'm only now in my 40s starting to feel comfortable putting my arm around my male friends because growing up I'd I'd get called gay, I'd be, you know, made to feel ashamed for it. Mm. So, I mean, that's one example. And how many women are taught to stay quiet or be sensitive or be feminine or, you know, go for a certain job all based on their gender. So this impacts everybody. Yeah, yeah, totally. Can we, speaking of education, something that um, we just chatted briefly off air about, do you want to tell us about the little badge you're wearing there? Because it's something that is fairly new to me, even when we were just chatting about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'm wearing a badge that says they slash them, um, and it signifies the pronouns that I use. So gender pronouns is essentially a way that we refer to someone when we're not using their name. For example, we might use he, him, or she, her, or in my case, they, them. And they, them essentially is an opportunity for someone who doesn't identify as male or female to have pronouns and language that people can use that validates their gender identity. And for me growing up, someone who was assigned male at birth, I was automatically given male pronouns. People would say he and him. And, you know, connected with the discomfort that I spoke about earlier in terms of my name and the way people saw me, my pronouns as he and him added to that discomfort and added to this feeling of not being seen for who I really was. So I, as I went through a name change, I also changed my pronouns. Um, and that is a tricky process because it does take some getting used to and Obviously, they, them is quite unique in that it's typically used in a plural setting. So people get confused when you're referring to one person. It is still used as a singular pronoun. Um, For example, if someone was to leave a bag behind and you'd say, oh, whose bag is that? And you might say, oh, it's that person they had to rush off. You're still referring to someone as singular, but it can be confusing. So that's hard not only to get people around you to familiarise themselves with that pronoun, but also... I experience daily um, constantly being misgendered, people constantly using the wrong pronouns, someone who I haven't met before. And when you go through the process of changing your pronouns, you become even more hyper aware of how gendered everything is because now I'm very sensitive to it and I'm like, oh, you're reading me, you're assuming my gender and, you know, I'm like, how dare you assume my gen- <laughs> You don't know me. I'm like, I haven't even spoken to you before. I don't yeah. even know you. But because of the way society is set up, you're assuming that I'm male and therefore you have put these pronouns on me that aren't even my pronouns. So, yeah, I would say there's a big shift now. There are more and more people using they, them pronouns. And a good story I heard the other day was one of my, one of my friend's younger brothers. I think they're a teenager. Um, their mum was talking about they, them pronouns and how confusing it is. And this, you know, teenage boy was like, mum, catch up. Language has been changing for <laughs> centuries. Language is constantly changing. Um, and, you know, you, we always look to young people for wisdom. Yeah. And he was right. Language <laughs> yeah. is changing. And it's it, true. It's confusing. It takes work. But sometimes you just have to do the confusing work. Yeah. Um, I was going to ask you about... Um, Growing up queer in Australia. But I've actually changed my mind. I want to know what it's like as an adult in Australia, as a queer person. Good question. Refreshing question. <laughs> um, I would say it's a real mixed bag. I would mm. say it's empowering on one half. 
um, on one side because I have the independence to express myself how I want, um, to move through the world in a way that I want, in a way that I couldn't when I was younger. So I'd say that independence um, is positive and empowering and also with age comes wisdom and, you know, I've been able to access more information and more learning and meet more people and have more diverse people come into my life. Growing up, you're kind of restricted to your community, your town, your family circles. And I love my family, but not very diverse circles. So getting out into the real world and meeting people has been really positive. But I would say that for myself, being queer as an adult, it's still incredibly challenging because I'm living in a society that hasn't been built for people like me. Um, And I don't feel to this day that I'm able to express myself authentically for my own safety. I've had countless negative experiences, whether I've been verbally abused, physically abused um, by strangers in the street, um, when I've gone down the street in a way that feels natural to me in terms of clothing Mm. or makeup. So, like, I have to think every single day, where are my confidence levels at? What do I feel confident enough to do today? Um, because I have to leave my house and walk to the train station. Who am I going to cross paths with in that time? Who am I going to be sitting with on the train? Who's going to be in the cafe where I get a coffee from? Who's going to be in my workplace today? Am I working with new people that I don't know? How am I going to get home? How late am I going to be going home? Is it going to be dark? Am I scared of the people who are going to be around? So all of that dictates how I walk, how I talk, what I wear, how I express myself. So queer people, we're so hypervigilant. We're constantly looking for threats. Um, so I would say that even though, as we said earlier, things are improving, we're constantly scanning, we're constantly, you know, figuring out how we move down the street. In that's a way, where that exhaustion you talk about. Yes. That's exhausting to even think about for, for me that, you, you know, like yes. that you, that that's what your day-to-day routine. And you do, you do, it is tiring, but you come to accept it as your reality. And I think when I have conversations with non-queer people around hypervigilance, having those moments and epiphanies for non-queer people to be like, oh, shit, I take for granted the fact that I can just hold my partner's hand or walk mm. down the street or introduce myself without a second thought, whereas we're thinking they've misgendered me, they're using the wrong pronouns, they're looking at me funny, I don't know if they're aggressive. So it's constant scanning. And that's such a, pro- that's such a problem. That's such a problem with society that anyone think has to think like that. Mm. Yeah. Can, can we talk about uber or not yeah we can talk about anything because i know um speaking to you a while back you had a a run-in with uber Mm -hmm. that made me sick to think for on so many levels like when you actually unpack it that can we can we talk about that because i just feel like it's just one of those things that i'm sure anyone who hears it will just go that's fucked Mm. (laughs) if i can use that word for it yeah definitely it was very fucked um i mean it's one of many examples sure and yeah it was a little while ago actually yeah the reason it was so unfortunate is that um it was a huge celebration for queer town specifically we'd found out that we got into this three-month business accelerator run by creative victoria and it was a night to go out with my co-founder and just celebrate and so we went out we had some drinks we went out and danced and had a really fun positive night and then i needed to get home so classic melbourneian um caught an uber was chatting to this person and 
I must admit, like when I'm in an Uber personally, I don't know about you, but I just like to sit in silence. Mm. Um, and, but, you know, I was making a real effort to be chatty. I never want to be rude. And he started engaging. So I was like, oh, you know, I'll have a chat with this person. Anyway, so we'd been in a car for maybe like 15 minutes at that point and he was really friendly and, you know, we were just talking and then he was talking about the challenges he has um, as an Uber driver having to deal with all kinds of different people and often I hear they have trouble with drunk people so I was just assumed that's where it was going. Yep. He said, you know, have to deal with drunk people, have to deal with poofs, have to deal with this, that and the other. And I was kind of just nodding along and agreeing and then I realised what he'd said and I was like, wait, did did you say poofs? And he was like, yeah, I have to deal with so many poofs. And I was like, what do you mean? And he was like, oh, you know what a poof is, someone who's not normal. Um, they were his words. Mm-hmm. And and I was essentially paraphrasing was like, oh, well, I don't think there's anything wrong with being a poof. And he said, are you a poof? And I said, yes, I am a poof. And um, so he started shouting and ranting and he was referencing the Bible and he was talking about Jesus and how disrespectful gay people are. And, you know, I'm in a moving vehicle with this stranger. I'm in his car. And so, like, my all I was – I wasn't processing what he was saying. I was just like, I need to get out, I need to get out. And thankfully, we eventually came to a red light and so I was just trying to open the door and it was locked. So I had to figure out how to unlock the door while this man was shouting at me. And I just got out and I just started running away from the car and immediately was going to Uber and reporting this person. So, I mean, I was in the middle of nowhere on a highway in the middle of the night um, and was kind of left there. had to get another Uber but obviously didn't want to get the same person so I had to, you know, be out in the cold waiting to order a new one. Um, So, I mean, that was obviously a pretty stressful situation and unfortunately Uber was not helpful, did not follow it up did not help me in the process, told me that there are two sides to every story. Mm. Um, so I assume that person's still out on the road driving. Yeah, and as I said, unpacking it, there's so many levels of it that are just not not right. Um, but I guess one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it, and if you were happy with it, was that's one experience of, I know many that you've had, but one experience of countless that people in the queer community have so I just, I guess I wanted, if people can hear that, I'm sure, like I said, everyone listening, I'm sure will have the same reaction that that I, that I did, and it's just, it's just so not right. There's mm. so so many things that are just not right about that, and I just, I guess I just, yeah, I, 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 I like to put that out there, and I don't want you to feel uncomfortable by it, but just to just to show that's one example of so many, and that's why, while early on we said we're progressing a little bit here. But that's why we are so far behind the eight ball with on so many levels. Yeah. So thank you for sharing that. No, thank you. And I, I agree. I think it is a good opportunity because when I share it with people who may not be so close or exposed to the queer community, they're really shocked as though mm. like surely that doesn't happen today. And I think unless you are a queer person experiencing that regularly, um, you may not realise how mm. often that still happens. Um, and legal reform only goes so far. That doesn't mean that peop- everyday people on the ground are changing their values and beliefs and backgrounds. Mm. Mm. Let's get positive again, okay? Because I'm loving. Um, I just, I just want to talk about what's next for Queer Town because it's going places. It's awesome. Again, um, if you've if you've skipped some of this podcast for some reason, you're just listening now. Queer Town is what Archie's all about, and he's built this fantastic um, platform and. Um, 
you can find it on all the socials. But what's next? Well, what's next for us is starting to launch some content. So we've been filming some behind-the-scenes content, which we've been chucking up so people can kind of see what we're doing. Um, but later this year, we're later in 2019, we're going to be launching some content. We're launching with a subscription model. So you pay a very small monthly fee so that we can pay the queer people that we're engaging mm. so that we're supporting people in the queer community to keep working and making this type of um, media. So launching some content and growing our online following, it's really important to us that we grow a really vibrant community that wants this content. So we'll continue to grow our online following, looking to raise some revenue. So if we have any, you know, cashed up investors listening, <laughs> definitely go to queertown.com.au. Definitely get in touch. The um, content you're talking about creating is in the form of video. You spoke a bit about like podcasts or other, other options out there. Is it, have you got any one direction in mind or is it just to keep doing what you're doing, putting it out there across the networks? Yeah, our mediums are video, podcast and writing. Uh, so we're doing, we're producing a lot of original video content ourselves and also curating some content. So we've curated a couple of films that will be going up later this year with our launch. We've also curated some really awesome queer podcasts and down the track we'll be looking to record our own. So I'll definitely be speaking to Luke about that. <laughs> uh, the gear's here, mate. <laughs> thank you. Take it. Um, so yeah, a real kind of spread of content, both original and curated. And we, you know, we kind of say if Netflix and medium and Apple podcasts had a queer baby, that would be queer town. <laughs> Excellent. That's a good looking baby. It's hot. It's very <laughs> queer. Hey, Archie, I'm going to let you go. Um, thank you so much for coming by. This has been so much fun. Um, I hope people listening have uh, enjoyed it and got taken a, a bit out of it but more importantly get the opportunity to go over to queertown.com.au and have a bit of a look it's a lot of fun i love all the behind the scenes videos i can't get enough of that that's fun thank so you. yeah so thank you thank you so much thank you for having me it's been a really awesome opportunity and i'm excited to check out more of this podcast and i did say to luke off air i feel like you know at times perhaps this conversation got quite serious and Although there is lots of positivity and colour and vibrancy to the queer community, it's important to acknowledge that there is some serious negative stuff as well. So thank you for providing space for both. Um, and it's been a pleasure. Totally. Anytime. I think you need to probably come back. Okay. We'll do it again. I would actually love that. And we'll get some wine. Yeah, can we get I some really feel like wine. I've let you down. <laughs> Huge letdown. You'll be a different person next time. Very different. <laughs> thank you, Archie. Thanks, Luke.